Love you, Adam. It's good to see you all. As I like to say, it's good to be with old friends, and it's good to be with old friends for the first time. I do want to extend, God, I ask for the grace to forgive whoever invented daylight savings time and caused havoc on our biological clocks. Obviously, they didn't know what they were doing. So we forgive them. Found in the Father, formed in the family. I wanted to hit some ideas about our formation. You could also use the word transformation. And there are uh, numerous elements in this idea of your formation, because the idea is you're always being formed. The question is, are you aware of it? Just as culture is always being developed, consciously and unconsciously. And so some of the basic elements I want to hit, presence, the practice of self-observation, and understanding what one's experience means, or experiences mean. And I like to tuck these into one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, the words of God spoken through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55.3. It's the axiomatic invitation from God to, I believe, all of humanity. And it's this. Pay attention. Come to me. Listen so that your soul may live. I wonder if most of our anxiety and angst and mental torment and emotional pain we experience in life, I wonder if it can be traced back to a possibility that in part, we just aren't good listeners. to God, to others, to ourselves, to our body's systems, and to reality, what is. And so I like to tie presence, the practice of self-observation and understanding what one's experiences mean, into uh, this, these words from God in Isaiah 55.3. So this is what I hear when I infuse all of this stuff. It sounds like this. Could sound like this. Pay attention. Be present with your presence in the security of my presence. For you have died, and your life has been safely guarded and found secure by the Messiah in me. Here, in this safe space of mutual, mindful presence... Listen, incline your ear. Why? So that you may learn to be present to me, to yourself, and to what is. To find true meaning, and in so doing, truly live. <laughs> I love that. So presence, the practice of self-observation and understanding what one's experiences mean. Just a quick note on presence. I'm not going to belabor this, but our formation in God's family requires us to be present. This is what I mean by presence. You could say aware, awake to what is. You know, Ephesians 5.14, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will illuminate you. 
This is not just a one-time experience. I believe this awakening is constant because we are, by sheer virtue of being human, an easily forgetful and sleepy people. I need to wake up all the time. Anytime I sin, it's because somewhere in my mind and heart I've kind of fallen asleep to what is, who God is and who I am. And so in sin, I try to form an identity. That's anytime I sin, I just forget who I am in God and who God is to me. So it's kind of like I fall asleep. And I believe this continual awakening to presence this is, is a continual awakening to presence, to being present, and to what is present. What is present right now in your life, in your circumstances, in your mind, in your heart? How often do we avoid what is or attack what is rather than approach what is non-judgmentally with curiosity, wonder, and kindness? As I shared over the weekend, just a little side note, courtesy of Dr. Stephen Stasny, I believe, emotions only have one of three motivations, approach, avoid, attack. In any given moment, whatever you're feeling is inviting you to approach reality, to approach what is, to approach truth, to attack it, or avoid it. Just check out. As the late psychotherapist Nathaniel Brandon stated, the first step toward change, towards formation, towards transformation is awareness. You and I can't let go of something if, you don't, if we don't know we're holding on to it. And this starts with you and me being aware that we are not God. That's always a good start. I've tried, but I've failed. Being aware and present to reality without judgment, without excuses, negative critique. Notice I'm saying negative critique, not critique. Resistance and the habitual delight of revealing our own opinions. Doesn't it feel good? We read in scripture, he who delights in revealing his own opinion is a fool. It's not bad to have opinions. What we want to be aware of is why are you sharing your opinion? Does that make sense? Most of the time, I'm just being honest, I share my opinion because it just freaking feels good. <laughs> I don't really care what happens to you. I'm, I'm just being honest. That's a part of me. That's not the whole of me, but there's a part of me, right? You know, you share an opinion and you just feel like, like you've just escalated. You're just hovering, you know? Because you spoke. Can anybody relate? <laughs> yeah. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that uh, this forming within the family is oftentimes thwarted because we run away from what it requires. Our forming can be thwarted because we run away from what our formation requires, which is vulnerability, authenticity, openness to truth, and sometimes the painful bruising of our own egos. 
and that can be scary and painful. So we flee from what is, what is present. We check out. As it's been said, the two sins of the Western world are anesthesia and amnesia. We run from how we are being invited to be present. I would need to say that again. We run from how we are being invited to be present. And what invites you to be present is what is. And oftentimes, being honest, I want to get out of the unpleasant what is so I can find a pleasant what is. And when I do that, I end up manufacturing a pleasant what is, which is actually an illusion. And I end up calling it my reality. And I suffer. Is this making sense? So we engage in habitual patterns of escaping, shutting down, or avoiding altogether what is in the present moment. It's interesting that God decided to form humans, humankind, from an already existing substance. He decided to form out of what is. He decided to use reality that existed and then expand that reality into what we call humans. Dust and rib. It already existed. He took what is. He likes to work with and create with what is. He, what is, whatever, however painful it is. It is what it is. But those are the base chemicals of God's divine alchemy in your life. He wants to and loves to work with what is. Do you know why? Because he is what is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That word truth in the Aramaic is true reality. He says, I, look at me. I am true reality. I am what is and is and is to come. And so the question is, do we like to work with what is? Do we like to create out of what is? What would our lives be like if we chose to work with what's real, no matter how painful that reality may be? And yes, this is hard. That's why we need Jesus. As Francis Weller states, Without awareness or presence and willingness to be shaped by life, a willingness to acknowledge and accept what is true and real, we remain caught in the adolescent strategies of avoidance and heroic striving. And oftentimes, at least in my life, I strive and grasp to form life. And every time we grasp, we increase our suffering. What would it look like for you to, instead of manage life, have it form you? What would it look like instead of you trying to form life, have it form you? What is, is always in the present moment, and what is, is here to form you. 
Are we good? <clears throat> so that's just all I wanted to say about presence, awareness. We could call it the sacrament of the present moment. You've, you're familiar with Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God. This is the only moment we have. Oh, and now we're in a new moment, and we all made it. That's great. That looks good so far, right? I mean, this is pretty amazing. Just side note real quickly, Colossians, he holds all things together. Look to the person behind you, to your right, left. Do you realize that that person exists because Jesus is holding that person together right now? You, people say, get yourself together. Pull, you can't. <laughs> the pressure's off. You can't hold anything together. Christ holds you together. He holds all things together. And the moment you won't be here is because now he'll be holding you face to face. So let's take a look at the second element required in our formational work within God's family. It's the practice of self-observation. This is non-judgmental observation or self-examination. As Socrates states, stated, <laughs> an unexamined life is not worth living. Sometimes God will do the examining as revealed in Psalm 66.10, for you, God, tested us, that's the children of Israel, tested us, you refined us like silver. That word tested in Hebrew means to examine. Scripture is full of invitations for both individual observation slash examination and corporate or communal. Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, unless, uh, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Lamentations 3.40, it's a communal. Let us examine and test our ways and turn back to the Lord. Jesus tells us to first take the log out of our own eye. And it's interesting. And then he says, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck. He's not against you removing the speck from your brother or sister's eye. He's just saying before you do that, well, here's what he's saying. Just own this reality. Your first glance, you hardly ever see clearly. Your first glance upon a situation, a person, most likely, you're not seeing clearly. As it's been said, the first glance is seldom compassionate. And I own that, and there's no shame, or con don't be condemned by that. It's part of our human nature. I love judging people. <laughs> there, I said it. I just said it. There's a large part of me, I just love judging people, because it feels so good. And I elevate myself, and I esteem myself, and I just rock. I re Do you know why? Because I'm always right. And it feels so good. And I obviously know your intentions.
<laughs> I'm sharing not out of mastery, but out of deep need here, okay? I haven't mastered a thing. But it is interesting. Uh, Jesus' invitation, you know, remove the log, that's self-examination. That invites us to pause, breathe, be silent. Remember how Paul said, we only see in part. And any time you think you fully see, you still only see in part. And just a little side note here. One of the things that causes us suffering is judgment, right? And one of the, what happens is this. In this judgment, in this poor examination of others in life and self, it's when we call the part the whole. It's when we call the part the whole. It's as if, if Adam or Julie Cox comes up here with one piece of the puzzle and says, I solved the puzzle, we would all think, no, you didn't. You have a part of the puzzle. And we need more parts. But just know that we, we know in part, and we usually are only ever seeing in part so that should humble us and should tell us at any given moment, the invitation is to be aware that at any given moment, you just have part of the equation. Even when you think you have the full equation, you only have part of it. How many times have I increased suffering because I called the part the whole? You're this! And you operate in cognitive distortions. You always do this. I never get my way. Really, the whole of your existence, you've never gotten your way. And you just unequivocally know that that person always, from the conception on, has always done that. We're funny people, aren't we? And then we see in Scripture the practice of asking God to examine ourselves. Psalm 26.2, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Wow, when's the last time you've asked that? And then there's the classic, of course, all Scripture is classic, but uh, Psalm 139. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Search me, O God, and know my heart, right? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Reveal any wicked, offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So you can see all this wonderful individual and corporate cries for self-examination. But what do you think about this? I wonder, I wonder if the larger practice of self-observation and examination in this forming within the family is when we invite the observation of others and we actually listen to it. Now we're really entering formation. Remember, our formation is within God's family. What if, what if there is no formation without observation from a source other than our individual selves? It seems that God loves to form us primarily with and through other people in creative union with the Holy Spirit. We did this, you know, I, I, I 
did 30 years of radio, and at least once or twice a week, we would have something called an air check. And it's when your, ta your talent coach and the program director would come in, you'd sit down, and they'd pull out an hour or two, everything you said on the air was recorded. We'd sit down and press play. And they'd rip you a new one. <laughs> Excuse my language. They would just, it was surgical. I had this for 30 years. And what was interesting is, Some talent coaches did it well, some just, it's like they were just out to humiliate you. I mean, there were times where I would have to, after a five-hour show, transcribe the entire show, handwritten or typed. And like in one exercise, it was circle all the verbs. It was like so surgical, it was ridiculous. So surgical. I, was, I was once had a meeting on how to change my laugh. Yeah, it's insane. But here, here's what I'm getting to. When it comes to inviting the observation and input of others, I had a boss who was not nice. Uh, one day asked an honest question. He said, Craig, why, why when I share something with you in an air check, and the talent coach does it. We say the same things, but it seems like everyone prefers the talent coach and not me. And I said, I'll tell you why. You're saying the same things, but when the, nice, when the talent coach says it, you know he is for you. When you say it, we feel like you hate us. The other guy, he could tell you something brutal, but with this odd smile on you, you're like, I know you're cutting me, but I want to hug you anyway. <laughs> right? The other guy, you just felt, wow, you must hate my existence. So a key component in inviting the self-observation of others and you giving the observation uh, to the other is communication. Are, are, are you letting that person know this conversation and this observation and examination is happening because I'm for you? I'm for your formation. I'm not here to, to, to one-up you, to condemn you, to elevate me and lower you. I am for you. And I see this thing and I've witnessed this thing and I just want to present it to you. What do you think? Or you come, would you search me? Please help. I have a pattern in my life, and patterns have meaning. There's something going on here, and I don't understand what it is. I need outside observation. But please let me know you're for me, because I'm fragile and I'm vulnerable right now. We need each other in this. The first, uh, it's Proverbs 18, 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. <laughs> This is applicable to every moment of life. If we are to be honest, we always have a case to plead. And we usually favor ourselves. I think the reality is, I'll just say, I, my ego holds myself in high regard. Here's my case, and I, plead, I, I present my case, and 
in front of the stand of the judge, and then I go around and I become the judge, and I say, you're awesome, done, you're right, correct, you're never wrong, done, granted. Just these egoic operating systems. Have you ever done that where someone, you know someone's coming to you, they're about to correct you, and you correct yourself out loud before they do in hopes that you were correct in correcting yourself so you wouldn't have to hear it coming from them? Does that make sense? Hey, I wanted to ask you something. Oh, I know, I did this and this, I get it, and then I'm going to get better. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Have we done that? It's like, what, dude? Thank you for knowing what I was going to tell you. You've heard that statement, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27.6, one translation puts it this way, you can trust a friend who corrects you. Another translation says the slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. <laughs> Psalm 141.5, let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. I'll read that again. Psalm 141.5. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. And again, the ones who do this well are the ones who make you feel that they are for you and not against you. My wife has so wonderfully wounded me. And she's always been for me in that. Usually. <laughs> I just had a cognitive distortion there. <laughs> and then we get to reconcile and repent and cry and all that. So important note, in the midst of this self-observation and examination, be it alone or with others, in the midst of being formed in the safety of God's family, whenever we find ourselves getting defensive in this formative process, emotionally overreacting or offended over someone's observation about us, that oftentimes is a sign that there is a self-image, an image of your own making, an idolized version of ourselves that we are attached to that has just been knocked over. Offense is a self-conscious emotion. It's always attached to how you see yourself and how you think others see you. Anytime you're offended, or embarrassed, it points to that. But be encouraged that pain to our egoic operating system is an invitation to formation. Our formation is always collaborative. I mean, even we read in, what is it? Ephesians 3, 17, 19. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints to comprehend. You can't even comprehend the love of God on your own. God has designed it for the comprehension of his love to be attained together. And the same is to your formation unto the likeness of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize for you to even know you're a human, you need other humans? If you were just born in a vacuum alone, you wouldn't know what you are. Does that make sense? One of the key reasons I know I'm alive and, and, and something called a human is because I see another human. And then we engage and we're interacted. We're individually members one of another. 
If I had my way, I, I would allow all my formation to take place in a vacuum so you would never see my weaknesses. The whole Superman, Clark Kent in the, in the phone booth thing. That would be great. But that's me wanting to be God, frankly. We're more alike in our weaknesses than we are in our strengths. And I've shared this over the weekend. We want God's, God's power is perfected in our weakness. But usually what I want to do is hide behind the podium and say, okay, God, give me your power because I have a lot of weakness here. And I don't want them to see my weakness, so give me your power. And he'll say something like this, Craig, I have my power for you in your weakness, and I placed my power in your brother Adam. So now you have to go to Adam with vulnerability, authenticity, and humility, and say, Adam, I have need. Oftentimes, what if God's power perfected in your weakness is there, but it's waiting for you in another person? All right. Now, here's the wild, uh, the, the, the last point. And then I have a sub point, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> what are you saying, Craig? I don't know. The third basic element required in our transformational or formational work as daughters and sons of God is understanding what one's experiences mean. Understanding what one's experiences mean. mean. Life is meaning, right? We are always applying meaning to something. Something happens, and we wonder, what does this mean? The next question is, well, what do you want it to mean? And then the better question is, God, what does it mean to you? We see this going on in the world, right? Oh, I feel this, it means this. That's absolute truth. And if you don't believe it, you're canceled. But as sons and daughters of God, we get to approach meaning and give what we think it means to the ultimate meaning, Jesus Christ, who gives true meaning. He's the one who provides true meaning to your very essence and being. Here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say. You alone can't give meaning to yourself. You can't give full meaning to yourself in isolation and in, in, in solitary confinement, so to speak. That's why when people call me for help, my, one of my first questions I, I ask is, tell me about your community. And it's amazing, how, unfortunately, how often they don't have a community. And I'm like, well, this is your first problem. This is what we, we got to find you some people. Because so, hear this, you, re, you ready? Check this out. Understanding what one's experiences mean. Now, here's the kicker. An accurate interpretation, this is according to the wisdom of the Enneagram, an accurate interpretation of what your experiences mean can only be provided by a larger context than yourself, i.e. community. You're not going to get it alone. A key example of what happens if you try to get it alone, you ready? Narcissism. That's the product, narcissism. And then this, this leads to just one more idea. There's something known as the chaos theory. Ilya Delio, Franciscan sister, explains, the science of chaos indicates that out of chaos, new things can happen. Now be encouraged with that. Out of chaos, new things can happen. Chaos theory depends, though, 
on open systems, that is, systems in which novelty or something new can arise. But what is absolutely necessary for this newness to happen is this, and I'm going to apply it to the people. You must be open to change. If you are not open to change, you will not recognize and walk into the new thing that wants to come out of the chaos. As German-Swiss poet Hermann Hesse wrote, chaos demands to be recognized and experienced before letting itself be converted into a new order. And Carl Jung stated, in all chaos, there is a cosmos, in all disorder, a secret order. Why am I talking about chaos? Because here's the deal. When we invite the self-observation or we invite observation of others into our lives, it feels chaotic, doesn't it? Because we feel threatened. What, is, what feels threatened? Our egos. It feels scary. It feels like the formless void. It's chaotic and dark and questionable and unknown and obscure and shady. What's gonna happen to me? I'm scared, what's going to come, what are you going to say? Your formative journey with others can feel a bit chaotic at times, yes? I want to hear everybody, yes? yes? There's things in us, habitual ways of thinking, being and doing, they're challenged, provoked, revealed, things hidden, brought to light. And our moment-by-moment -moment invitation to formation within the family seems to me a constant and repeated co-creative new beginning encounter in which God through and within his family is always saying to the parts of us and our circumstances that seem void and chaotic, chaotic and dark and formless, it's like he's always saying again and again and again, let there be light. And I need brothers and sisters who, that's what your brothers and sisters show up with their presence, not just verbally, but even just their presence, because we're light in the Lord. And so I need this brother to come up to me and, and, and be honest with me, even with his presence, he shows up in my pain, and even in his presence, he's saying, let there be light. And then with his words and his keen observation, and because he loves me, he's going to tell me the truth about me, because he's for me and not against me. And it's this co-creative moment. Every moment is a Genesis 1-1. Every moment is a co-creative moment with the son and daughter of God. Let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. In your mind, in your hearts, in your spirits, in your neural network patterns. Let there be divine neuroplasticity. Let there be light. Bring the deep things out into the light. That which is brought out into the light becomes light. but oftentimes the process feels chaotic and painful. And that's okay. You don't have to be afraid of the pain. It's only pain. It's just pain. And pain is an excellent indicator that probably something is being created. Hammered and formed and twisted and stretched and bent into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Just some questions I want to, I want to offer you. In the midst of the chaos and formation that we can feel within the family, within the safe confines. Here's, here's what's so wild. That's the safest place you can be. 
is in that transformative process. It doesn't feel safe at times, but actually that's the safest place you can be. Do you know why? Because it's reality. It's what is. And we don't like what is sometimes because it just freaking hurts, man. It's painful. But that's the safest place you can be. It's kind of counterintuitive. It's like almost like you're having a heart attack, a severe one. Well, the safest place to be is on the operating table. Even though you know pain is coming, especially afterwards. But that's the safest place to be. Some questions to ponder. What change might God be inviting me into, us into? What does it look like for me to be open to this change? What does it look like for me not to force change? What about change and transformation, formation scares me and why? What am I being invited to let go of or let be? Here's one. Who is God to me in this change and transformation? And one more. Oh, who is God to me in this change, in this transformation? Because oftentimes, it, the, because of the pain that comes with trans, the transformative process, we can feel like God has left us, but he's right there. And finally, what would it look like for me to trust God as I welcome change for the sake of my formation within his family unto his image and likeness. And I think it really all boils down to what I shared in the beginning. Let us I mean, seriously, pay attention, says God. Come to me. Listen so your souls may live. He wants us to live. Listen to God. Listen to God through others. Listen to your brother and sister. Listen to yourself, your body. Listen and don't be afraid of the pain of the formation and the transformative process. Listen. That means be awake, observe, engage, look, and guess what? Then you'll really be living. You'll really be living. And here's the deal, that's what you really want anyway. I just wanna freaking live. I wanna wake up before I die. I'm gonna wake up before I die and so are you. We're waking up before we die. Amen? Allow me to bless you. We'll end it with this. Just put your hand on your heart if you want to. You don't have to. Father, I pray that anything that is of you in the words that were shared, may they be healing and transformative in our spirit, souls, and bodies. And I pray, would you humbly, I humbly pray, would you watch over this to perform it in my family's life. As I say, brothers and sisters, may you be at peace. May your hearts always be open. May the light of the divine Christ continue to awaken and illuminate deep within. May you continue to be healed on your learning journey. And may you continue to be a loving, peaceful, joyful source of healing to others on theirs. 
We bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.